Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left, as always, for today's County Championship review show is none other than everyone's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So, Kieran, first things first, mate, I hope you're keeping well. It's been a stunning weekend of weather here in England and Wales, hasn't it? We've had the sun out, it's been 18 to 20 degrees, it's been absolutely wonderful. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, my day's been okay. I can't say I've done a lot. Um, the, the County Cricket Podcast taking precedence in, in my day, so... Um, but it sets it up for a good day. So uh, beyond this, it'll all be sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is a fantastic platform. I've got to say, I love doing the podcast. I've been doing it now since 2020. And yeah, I always have that extra pep in my step, to be honest, when I wake up on the morning of a recording. It's it's just something wonderful. I don't know. I don't know what it is about county cricket, but yeah, just love talking about it, as you can probably tell. And listeners, we've got an excellent show to get our teeth into. So, Kieran, I just say we get straight into it and look back on what was a fascinating round of action in the LV County Championship. And we'll kickstart this week's review show with a trip to South London, where the defending champion Surrey beat Kent by 10 wickets at the Oval. Now, Surrey won the toss and elected to have a bowl first on an uncharacteristically green surface at the Oval a decision which appeared to have paid off quite marvellously in the opening exchanges, as the clinical Browncaps bowling attack sighed through the Kent top to middle order to leave the visitors struggling immensely on a dire score of 118 for 7 in just the 41st over of their innings. Now, this is where a certain Joey Everson came to the forefront for Kent. And Kieran, we've got to talk about this guy because he's having an excellent season so far in, in a campaign which has seen Kent struggle hugely with the bats. They've only scored three batting bonus points all season long. I thought Joey Everson stood up to the plates, absorbed the pressure, and almost accepted that responsibility quite magnificently in South London this week. He scored a brilliant 77 not outs from 106 deliveries, alongside the likes of Wes Agar, who scored 31, and Michael Hogan, the number 11, scoring 43 from 48 balls, to ultimately take Kent up to a rather competitive total of 278 all outs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, rather unsurprisingly, Surrey actually got off to a decent start, so they were 109 for 1 within just 33 overs. However, in a rather shocking twist, Kent actually began to generate quite a bit of pressure on the brown caps, and Kieran, this is where we take our first in-depth analysis for this week's review show. We've got to talk about Arafat Boyan, the debutant. He's a member of the South Asian Cricket Academy, or SACA, as they're known, he was playing club cricket for Blackheath in the Kent Premier League just a week before this game. And on debut, taking figures of 4 for 65. And not just the figures, but the way in which he bowled and the names, the actual batters that he dismissed, were quite remarkable. So he dismissed the England vice-captain, Ollie Pope. He dismissed Jamie Smith for 8, Ben Folks for 17, and Will Jacks for 24, to leave Surrey wobbling on 180 for 6. So... Before we get into the rest of this game, Kieran, a few words on Arafat Boyan. Just how impressive was he, in your opinion, in this particular game? Yeah, really impressive for, to, as you say, the names that he dismissed on debut um, in a Division 1 game just shows that uh, Kent have got themselves a, a good asset there. Obviously, um, 
for Kent, the bowling has been their strongest suit already. And to add another player into that that's going to continue to help them take wickets um, is obviously ideal. Um, and yeah, from the start that he's had, uh, it shows that firstly that he was ready to play. Um, I know there was there were other guys from the South Asian Cricket Academy that made um, first class debuts last week as well, and it just shows that the good work that that goes on there to to give these guys a platform, and it shows very much the fact that there were three guys um, making debuts last week that that they are all ready to play, and and that um, hopefully for for Boyan and for Kent that he continues to to take wickets like he did in his first game. Well, that's what we hope for, because if he does, Kent could have a little bit of resurgence in this year's county championship. I thought he bowled magnificently, I've got to say. In terms of just hitting that decent line and length, I thought he had his radar spot on in that first inning. So congratulations to Arafat Boyan for an excellent debut. And he's definitely put a lot of county oppositions on watch in this year's county championship. But as has been the case on many an occasion in the past couple of seasons, even though Surrey were in a little bit of a predicament at this point, the Brown Caps somehow managed to salvage their situation yet again. As Sean Abbott blasted 78 from 88 deliveries and Gus Atkinson scoring a barnstorming 55 not out from just 44 deliveries, including six fours and three massive sixes, ultimately propelled Surrey up to a very competitive total of 362 all outs by the end of their 92 first innings overs. So, Kieran, I've got to ask, first and foremost, Gus Atkinson. Gus Atkinson, he's having quite the season, isn't he? Obviously, we've mentioned his bowling impact in previous shows. So, so far in the championship, in three matches, he's taken 14 wickets at an average of 14.92. But it's not just his bowling, is it? He's also scored 81 runs now at an average of 40.5. I've got to ask, Kieran, how on earth... And this is the 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 billion dollar question, isn't it? Right for all of the counties right now, how do you beat this Surrey side when they've got an incredibly strong top order, they've got a very good bowling attack, and then the bowlers that they possess also have the ability, like a Sean Abbott, like a Gus Atkinson, like a Tom Laws, like a Dan Worrell, to also smash with the bats? How on earth do you break down this Brown Caps team? It's silly, isn't it? Because as you say, even if the top order don't get too many runs. There's been multiple occasions this season that the the tail wags. Um, it, Sean Abbott's done it on a couple of occasions. Hit runs fairly quickly. Um, Dan Worrell did it potentially last week, maybe the week before. Um, got a few runs, and then yeah, Gus Atkinson hitting fifty five or forty four, a very quick fire um, half century, and then three sixes. I think three back-to-back sixes as well, weren't they? And the first one, just ridiculous, like outside, off-stump, slog sweep, off a seamer. Um, And yeah, the depth of their batting order obviously makes it very difficult for any side to beat them. Um, So in response to your question, it's very hard to do. And um, I don't see many sides being able to do it and very, very much not convincingly anyway. Um, you know, at some point throughout the season, somebody might be able to um, get one over on them. But as a whole, um, it looks like it's going to continue to be a very strong, uh, strong season for Surrey, um, just due to the sheer depth that they've got, both with the ball and, and with the bat. 
It's terrifying, isn't it? Let's face it. It really is terrifying. The the amount of depth that they've got in both departments. And we always mention this. It's something which Matt usually likes to talk about on the podcast. But when the tail wags, obviously it's not the expectation, is it? It's a massive bonus. But for Surrey, it has almost become the expectation. We do expect these, these lower order contributions. And ultimately, that did change the landscape of this game. Because come Kent's second innings... This game was pretty much done because Tom Laws completely rifled through Kent this week. Five for 22 in just nine overs, ultimately helping Surrey bowl out Kent for 141 runs. This meant that Surrey just had 58 runs to chase down in their second innings. And rather unsurprisingly, they chased it down with complete and utter ease. Took them 11.3 overs. Dom Sibley scoring 16 not outs. And Rory Burns scoring a runner ball 36 not outs. So... Very easy for Surrey, it has to be said, and that's that contribution from the likes of Abbotts and Atkinson in the first innings definitely was a catalyst in changing this game. But Kieran, a another massive catalyst that we have to touch upon before we we turn our attention to the other games in Division One this week is Tom Laws, because he took his maiden first class fifer in this game, and if we look at his his output so far in 2023. In three matches, he's taken 15 wickets at an average of 17.8, right? He's yet another incredible product of this Surrey production line when it comes to that same bowling department. So in, in terms of Tom Laws as a prospect, Kieran, where do you rate him in terms of the wider county conversation? Because obviously he's still young. He is rather raw in some areas, right? He's only 20 years of age. But in terms of the ceiling... Do you see him potentially being a future England player? Well, you look at the Surrey bowling attack, obviously, Kemar Roach not playing in this game, as I think he, he went back home for a family matter. Um, but obviously, he has played a lot of international cricket. Dan Worrell has played a bit. Uh, obviously, Sean Abbott, overseas player, who, who's played a bit of international cricket as well. Tom Laws doesn't look out of place in that bowling attack whatsoever. Um, and the figures of 5.22 suggest that it, it was a very good performance from him with the ball. And as you alluded to, he's, he's been doing it this season, obviously had a very good breakout season last season. Um, I think he's only maybe 20 years old, is he? Um, so obviously the fact that he's doing it this early on in his career, if he can keep progressing, which the, there's no signs that he, he shouldn't do from this point, then he certainly can break his way into the England side. There's a long time for him to do it as well. So even if it's not in the next sort of three, four years, he'll still be beyond that point, 24, 25. Um, and for a bowler, you know, you're, you're peaking sort of around that sort of time. Obviously your, your body doesn't uh, doesn't go on forever with as a bowler, as with a batter it can do. But the fact that he's still so young and putting in performances like this, then he certainly can find his way into the England side at some point, I, w- I would suggest, yeah. I'd agree with that, to be honest, mate. I, I really would. I-, I just look at him as a prospect. And again, if he keeps on churning out these performances season in, season out, he's going to be on the England radar. It's as simple as that. So Tom Laws, again, congratulations. Excellent bowling display in that second innings. And to be honest, in the entire game, took eight wickets over the course of this particular encounter. So, yeah, he is a serious, serious prospect. Yet another one to watch out for from a Surrey perspective. But, Kieran, before we discuss the the next game in Division 1 this week, which, funnily enough, also took place in London, 
I just wanted to touch upon Kent's start to the season because, let's face it, it has been very, very rough. So as of the, the culmination of the seventh round, Kent's are currently second bottom in Division 1. And as I mentioned beforehand, they've just got three batting bonus points, which for a team with the, the star power in that batting lineup is very, very underwhelming, isn't it? Let's face it, last season, one of Kent's real strengths was the ability to churn out big scores. And yet so far this summer, they're struggling immensely. So I've got to ask here, and what have you made to Kent's start to the summer? I mean, with the bat particularly, obviously, it's it's not good reading the fact that they have only secured three batting bonus points. Um, obviously, last season, a lot of their, their success with the bat hinged on Ben Compton, who has, again, been... He's not been quite at the level that he was at last season, but he's not been bad by any means. Um, we've touched upon Zach Crawley before, the fact that when he does come off, he looks very good for it and, and he is uh, he has got a big score in him. But those big scores are seemingly too few few and far, far between. Um, I mean, Tawanda Mouillet looks uh, an exciting prospect. And obviously in this game, he was one of the guys that of the top order in the second innings he was other than Crawley the um well in the second innings there was only three people to get into double figures um Crawley Mia and Jordan Cox um and then you look at the likes of Sam Billings who I thought would make a big difference for Kent being there from the start of the season this campaign and obviously he's had a very poor start um given the gloves to Jordan Cox for for the next couple of games and obviously the last couple as well potentially just so he can focus on his batting. And there are obviously players there with the likes of Crawley and and Billings um, and Jordan Cox himself can obviously bat. There are players there that can get these runs. It's just a case of how do they get them out? Obviously against Surrey, a bowling attack like Surrey's is a difficult team to score against. But as a whole throughout the season, having only secured three batting bonus points, they need to find a way to knuckle down and and hit bigger scores or they are going to continue struggling. They are. And to be honest, it's it's looking rather bleak, isn't it? In the seventh round. I know they've, they've played six matches, but 43 points for a side of Kent's calibre isn't good enough. And to be honest, the, the T20 block could not come soon enough, could it, for the White Horse? They've got to generate some momentum in that competition and somehow transfer it over to the Championship or else... Yeah, they're going to be in a relegation dogfight. It's not looking too good for Kent at the moment. But then again, they've still got eight games. We'll have to wait and see. It's a long season. Anything can happen. But yeah, the early signs have have not made for pretty reading for Kent fans, to say the least. But Kieran, aside then from that clash in South London, let's turn our attention to North London and let's head to the home of cricket, where Somerset beat Middlesex by an innings and 13 runs at Lord's Cricket Ground. Now, Middlesex won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game, a decision which appeared to have paid off quite superbly in the opening exchanges, as Stephen Davis and Tom Lamanby were both sent back to the pavilion within the first five overs of the game to leave Somerset stumbling on a perilous score of 10 for 2. But after this scintillating start, the momentum in North London began to shift well and truly in the favour of the Wyverns of Somerset as George Bartlett manufactured a masterful 121 from 214 balls, alongside Captain Tom Abel, who scored 77, and Tom Kohler-Cadmore, who chipped in with 68, 
to ultimately propel the confident visitors up to a commanding total of 404 all-outs by the end of their 111.2 overs. And Kieran, before we get into Middlesex's batting and we talk about the rest of this game, just a few words on that knock from George Bartlett. The fact that Somerset was struggling so immensely in those first five overs, it was 10 for two, and you can imagine the comments on social media, 100 all out, 150 all out, let's try and get 200. And in the end, Somerset scored 404 runs, which is a massive first innings total on that batting track at the home of cricket. So a few words, if you can, mate, what did you make of that 121 from the Somerset number four? He acquitted himself very well, obviously, in, in the situation where you've lost your both opening bats very quickly. Um, there is potential that, that if another couple of quick, quick wickets fall, you know, you, you couldn't be looking at a dangerous position. Um, and for him, I think that was just his second first-class century as well. So in that situation, to knuckle down after the openers have fallen and to bat for as long as he did, obviously putting together a good partnership with with Tom Abel. Um, it was a very good knock from him and, and set up the game for Somerset after what could have been a, a, a poor start could have been. Um, Middlesex could have built upon that had Bartlett not knuckled down and, and stuck around, but also scored the runs that he did. So a very good 100 and in the circumstances made it look even better. He certainly did. I mean, we have to give so many, so many plaudits to George Bartlett for that knock because we've we've seen a lot in the past. Somerset in those situations have collapsed. And yet in this game, they showed a lot of fight, a lot of resolve, a lot of tenacity. And he was definitely a major factor behind that mammoth first innings total. Now, in response to this, Middlesex, unfortunately, got off to a very, very poor start to their first innings. So within 33 overs, the Saxes found themselves struggling hugely on a score of 119 for seven. Now, fortunately, John Simpson, the wicketkeeper batter, did spare Middlesex's blushes somewhat with a battling 57 outs from 116 deliveries. But aside from that knock and Toby Rowland-Jones' 39 from 47, it really was a struggle for the Saxes yet again on home soil as the hosts were ultimately bundled out for 175 runs within just 52 overs at the home of cricket. Now, unsurprisingly, given the size of the deficit, Somerset decided to enforce the follow-on, a decision which we've got to say, Kieran, paid off masterfully, as the Saxes yet again struggled to generate any momentum. Aside from Mark Stoneman's 60, not a single Middlesex batter surpassed 40 runs in this particular innings. The next best score was Ryan Higgins' 31 as the home side were ultimately dismissed for 216 runs, sparked mainly by a brilliant 546 courtesy of Craig Overton, which ultimately saw Somerset secure a massive innings and 13-run victory within just three days at the home of cricket. So we've spoken about Somerset's batting, Kieran. Let's talk for a second about Middlesex's batting, because this again is, is one of the major talking points from the championship so far is Middlesex's batting strifes, because we mentioned about Kent with three batting bonus points. Middlesex have got one. Now, if we compare that to their bowling bonus points, they've got 18. So they've actually done brilliantly in the bowling department. They've secured maximum bowling points in every single game so far, and yet they've only scored one batting bonus point. So heading into this T20 block, 
What do you think Middlesex can do to reset that batting lineup? Do you think they'll stick with this same batting lineup and the the same, I suppose, the the jigsaw pieces that they've got in place at the moment, or do you think they'll switch things up? How do you assess this Middlesex batting lineup heading into the rest of this summer? Obviously, it, it makes for grim reading the fact that they have literally one batting bonus point. Um, in in contrast with the bowling, which, as you say, has been good, um, they have they've got one of the best, um, in fact, the joint best totals of of bowling bonus points. So, it, even with the batting, it's just a case of getting to the first bonus point just a few times, just so that the the level isn't as as severe the drop off from the batting to the, to the bowling. Um, in answer to your question whether they will change it, it's a tough one because you look at the the guys that are batting in the top order, Sam Robson, um, Stoneman, Eskenazi, Max Holden, all should be guys that are, all are guys that are capable of, of hitting runs. Um, and the, obviously there's been a few um, positives. I mean, the, the game against Surrey, um, a couple of Middlesex batters looked quite good um, at the top of the order. So whether or not they will change something, obviously <laughs> there is a change to be made. Uh, I'm just not sure where it will be made because, as I say, there have been a couple of innings that have looked promising. Um, but then more often than not, you're looking around and it is generally, um, as we've mentioned before, Ryan Higgins semi digs them out of a hole john simpson's looked good with the bat but you're looking at your number six and seven bats to get runs for you which you can't rely on that every game of the season and that's showing in the fact that they have one bat in bonus points so i'm sure at some point they will have to make a change um i'm not sure who they'd take out um and who they would bring in but I'm, i'm sure at some point there has to be a look at what they can do to bring the level of the batting up well, they need to sort it out, don't they? Let's be honest, Kieran. I mean, again, it's a bit like with Kent. The T20 block has probably come at a very good time for Middlesex County Cricket Club because these batting woes, I've got to say, they aren't unexpected. We did mention it. It's something which was a potential downfall of this side heading into this summer. But when you look at the stats, right, and obviously stats don't tell the entire story. They do have to have context at times. But Ryan Higgins is the leading run scorer for Middlesex so far this summer. He scored 421 runs. He's averaging 42.1. The next highest average is Sam Robson with 25.3. It's a huge, huge drop-off. The fact that Ryan Higgins is the only Middlesex batter averaging over 30 runs is a massive point of concern. So we will have to wait and see. There are going to have to be some very honest and very frank conversations in that Middlesex dressing room. Because if they don't sort this out, they're going down. Like, the bowling attack can only take you so far in games, and in particular, as we head into the height of the summer, and we don't have those favourable bowling conditions necessarily, and teams are bringing in their spin bowlers a bit more, I do worry for this Middlesex batting lineup. So we'll have to wait and see how they go. But talking of a team which actually isn't struggling in the batting department, Kieran, let's talk about Somerset and where this win puts them in the wider context of county cricket. Because as of this recording, Somerset are now fifth. They had such a slow and sluggish and sedate start to the season, but they're suddenly on a roll. 
And we talk about batting bonus points. Somerset have got 14 of them. It's the most in the entire division. They've got more batting bonus points than Surrey, which is fantastic for the Wyverns and is a great, great barometer in terms of the way in which they've improved their batting over the course of these last four games. So just a few words on Somerset, Kieran, before we turn our attention to the South Coast. How impressed were you with that batting performance, first and foremost, but then also the way in which it was backed up so sublimely by that bowling display from the likes of Craig Overton, Peter Siddle, and of course, Matt Henry? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've mentioned there the fact that Middlesex's bowling has generally been good. Um, and obviously, we, we touched upon the fact that both Somerset openers fell early. Um, I think a, a lot of the strength in Somerset's batting is the middle order. Um, obviously, Tom Abel game runs at three. Um, we mentioned Bartlett's runs. Tom Calder Cadmore's had a few good knocks this season. Um, and I know he's a player that it's similar to, to someone like Zach Crawley that if he comes off, he's going to look very good for it and, and there are big scores there. And if not, because he, he is going to play shots like when he uh, ran down the track, I think it was against Lancashire where he ran down the track and tried to moose one um, for about 18 and, and got bowled. But you see here, 68 off 60 balls. When he does get it, it goes at a, a fast rate. Um, James Rue has been phenomenal all season um pair of tons against Lancashire um not actually done too much in that game but to stick around for for 74 balls for his 25 um you know shows that he's very comfortable in his batting uh even if he's not scoring as freely as he might like and then Lewis Gregory both sides are of the game both with bat and ball uh obviously you know what you're getting with with both. He's a very experienced player who is going to get your runs and he's going to take your wickets. And then, like, even Matt Henry's been a fantastic signing. Obviously, the team looks a lot better with him in it. The bowling attack obviously looks phenomenal now with the the five guys that, that bowled for them. Matt Henry, Craig Overton, Lewis Gregory, Peter Siddle, Jack Leach. Every single one of them has played international cricket and you can see why. Um from this performance and with the bat Matt Henry brings you the ability to score quick runs at, at the bottom um, which is going to help in a lot of games when potentially you need to put on fast runs um, and then with the ball Matt Henry fantastic in in the first innings and then as you mentioned Craig Overton very good in the second innings and the likes of Peter Siddle Jack Leach has flown under the radar um, but certainly before this weekend, and I assume it's probably the same now, was the highest wicket-taking spinner in the county championship. So it's looking like a very well-rounded team. Um, obviously, before the start of the season, looking at the team, you would probably have said that the bowling was the stronger suit. I think I did say that, but they look very good with the bat as well, and, and they look like a team that are not going to have any problems at, at the bottom, which... To be fair, at the start of the season, I thought there was a chance that they might have done that at the moment seems to be proving me very wrong. Well, in fairness to Somerset, they have played very, very well in these last four games. So for Somerset fans, more of the same. As for Middlesex, resets, regroup, refocus, get into the blast, try and build up that momentum and fingers crossed for the Saxes fans 
that they can turn this around because I want to see them turn this around. It's hard to see. I like Middlesex as a cricket club. To see them struggling with the bat so much is difficult for me to see. But then again, I said it with Kent. It's a long season. Anything can happen. Fingers crossed for Middlesex fans that your team can sort this out and generate some momentum heading into the rest of this year's county championship. But Kieran, aside then from the two London games, let's shift our, our attention to the south coast. Let's head to Southampton, where the Rose and Crown of Hampshire hammered Northants by an innings and 135 runs at the Aegeus Bowl. Now, Hampshire won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this game, a decision which, to be honest, paid off quite excellently on the south coast this week as James Vince, the imperious Hampshire captain, put together a masterclass in first-class cricket, scoring 95 from 180 deliveries, which included 12 aesthetically pleasing boundaries, a strike of 52.77, alongside the likes of Liam Dawson, who scored 63, and the likes of Fletcher Middleton, who scored a quick-fire 40 from 58 deliveries, to ultimately see Hampshire up to a very, very competitive first innings total, of 367 all-outs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Northants got off to an absolutely diabolical start. So within 18 overs, the visitors found themselves on a score of 27 for 7. As the likes of Keith Barker, he took 4 for 13, Mohamed Abbas, who took 2 for 20, and Ian Holland taking figures of 2 for 10, scythed their way through the Northamptonshire batting lineup with complete and utter ease. Now, in fairness to him, Save Zabe did produce a little bit of resistance for Northants, chipping away with a valuable 29 from 57 deliveries. But even this admirable effort from the Northants all-rounder was simply not enough to take the visitors up to an even remotely competitive first innings total in Southampton this week as the East Midlands County were ultimately bundled out for just 56 runs. It's the lowest ever first-class score at the Aegeus Bowl. Kieran, we've got to talk about it as much as it pains me to see, because again, Northants are another club, which long-term listeners of the podcast know I've got tremendous respect for and admiration in terms of what they do in county crickets. But where on earth do they go from here? Because 56 all out, they were bundled out for 72 all out against Knotts literally last week, right? And as if that wasn't bad enough, even in the second innings, aside from Safe Saves 57 and Sam Whiteman's 45, they were bundled out for 176 runs in that particular innings as well. They didn't even surpass 200 runs at any point in this game. I've, I've got to ask because I've seen this a lot on social media. I've been messaged about it. I've seen it up in the mentions as well. But what on earth is going wrong? with Northamptonshire County Cricket Club in this year's county championship? Obviously, the the batting is just not at the level that it needs to be to be able to survive in Division 1. You you can't lose by an innings after having had 367 put past you. And it's not just a loss by an innings, a loss by an innings in 135 runs after Hampshire put on 367. That's not a particularly big total. I know... Hampshire's bowling attack, we've said it all season, is one of the strongest in the division. Um, and even without the likes of the likes of, of Kyle Abbott, um, they still managed to rip through Northants back in order. Um, and 
I know Emilio Gay's not had um, a lot of time this season, having come back from an injury. So, and he he looks like a player that has got a lot of potential and, and will score you runs at some point. Perhaps it's just the rust of not having been available from the start of the season. Um, I mentioned before that uh, Sam Whiteman, from your overseas, you do expect a little bit more. I know he, ha- he did hit that 100 and somebody mentioned uh, in the, on Twitter after I mentioned after that 100 that he, he hadn't done a lot, that he did hit a, a match winning 60, which, uh, which is fair enough. Um, and he has hit 45 here. Um, but the, the fact that only four people have hit double figures in the, in the second innings and only one hit double figures in the first innings, something needs to give and, and you need to find a way to hit, hit runs because chasing 367, it, you just need to get somewhere near that in one of the innings, even though you are facing the likes of Mohamed Abbas, Keith Barker, um, you know, they had um, John Turner, who's I think was on debut, um, who actually looked quite good for his debut, but it wasn't as strong as the Hampshire bowling attack can be. So even though it is a tough bowling attack still to face, it's not as uh, up to the heights that it, it usually is. So North Ants shouldn't have been bowled out for 56 and then 176. How that changes, I'm not sure, because there are players that, that should be hitting runs. It's just something that, that needs to happen for them. And as with a few other sides, the T20 break is probably coming at a good time, good time for them so that they can take a step back and have a look at how they improve from here. Because at the moment, it looks very rough for them. Um, bottom of the division, 38 points, one batting bonus point. They need to find a way to hit runs at some point because it, it is needed or they are going to be in a relegation battle come the end of the season. I mean, it looks at the moment like they are going to be anyway. Um, and yeah, I hope that they they do manage to turn it around because it, it doesn't look good for them at the moment. It really doesn't, Kieran. And let, let's just be fair to them. They have been very unlucky with injury. So for example, Lewis McManus is injured at the moment. The captain, Luke Proctor's injured. Ben Sanderson's injured as well. But I, I don't know what on earth's going on with North Ants. I really don't. It's like, they had that collapse last week and they just haven't been able to shift it. And I do think they're feeling the pressure now. So fingers crossed they can have a good T20 blast. They can regain some some confidence to build into their batting because if this does continue, they are going to be relegated. It's as simple as that. We can't mince our words anymore. After six games, we're on 38 points. They are struggling massively. So fingers crossed North Ants can get out of this rut and become more competitive. We saw the fight and the resolve which they showed last summer. It was one of the things which characterised Northamptonshire in the division. So I hope and I pray that this Northampton batting lineup can begin to get some confidence back, can build some momentum, and become the competitive side which we saw in Division 1 in the summer of 2022. But Kieran, aside from Northampton, I know we focus primarily on them. Hampshire, of course, we don't really need to touch upon much else with regards to the Rosen Crown. A dominant victory on home soil, which has just been a characteristic of their recent successes in Red Bull cricket. You mentioned the the lack of Kyle Abbott. They didn't even miss him. Keith Barker was exceptional. Mohamed Abbas did what Mohamed Abbas does every single week, just caused absolute carnage with the new ball. 
And you mentioned John Turner. Shout out to John Turner. He's a lovely bloke. He was a wonderful guest here on the podcast. And for him to perform like that on County Championship debut is absolutely fantastic. So a massive congratulations from all of us here at TCCP to John Turner. Fingers crossed it's the first of many because I I thought he bowled very, very well. I've got to say I was very proud watching him. So shout out to JT. And just someone else who I have to shout out from a Northants perspective, Kieran, is Alex Russell. Because even though this was a baptism of fire in every single sense of the word, obviously in innings and 135 run defeats, it's still nice to see him make his first class debut. And he was so proud. It was a great moment to see him capped. And honestly, again, for Alex, he's got a very bright career. This won't define him, this game. He'll go on and produce some great performances in red ball and white ball cricket. So shout out to Alex Russell as well. I thought it was great to see him make his debut on the South Coast in Southampton this week. But Kieran, aside then from that game, a rather one-sided encounter, it has to be said, between Hampshire and Northants at the Aegeus Bowl, let's turn our attention to the fourth and final game in Division 1 this week, which took place in Nottingham, where Nottinghamshire and Essex played out a very entertaining draw at Trent Bridge. Now, to give some context to this game, not to win the toss and elected to have a bowl first, a decision which seems to have paid off somewhat, as the ever-reliable trio of Brett Hutton, Stuart Broad and Dane Patterson held Essex to a slightly below-par total of 298 all-out by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, a confident Nottinghamshire laid down the gauntlet in some style to Essex this week, as Matt Montgomery amassed a regal 177 from 318 deliveries to ultimately help take knots up to a mammoth total of 442 all out by the end of their first innings. So Kieran, right off the bat, let's talk about Matt Montgomery, because that was a sensational batting performance, to say the least. He laid down the hammer, I thought he mixed defence with attack quite sublimely in the East Midlands this week, and 177, it's not his career best, his career best is 178, but that really set up this game quite fantastically for Knotts, and you look at the boundary output as well, no sixes, but 26 fours, and it was the mix as well, so he's playing some lovely shots on the offside, lovely little glances off the pads, he looks like a serious player, so just a few words on that performance from Matt Montgomery, how impressive was that from Nottinghamshire's Number three. Well, firstly, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not been playing much this season has it? because obviously Ben Duckett has been, um, obviously with, with Ben Duckett presumably being rested because he's going to be playing test cricket uh, in the Ireland test. Uh, you would have thought for him to come in, for Matt Montgomery to come in and show how capable he, are, he is of filling the void left by England's opening bat um, it's a fantastic effort from him and it shows Knotts that even when they are missing Duckett throughout the summer when he's on England duty they're going to be in safe hands um, and he's shown there that he's uh, deserving of a place in the side even when Ben Duckett is around because he was you know head and shoulders above the rest of the Knotts batting order I know obviously a couple of guys hit hit 50s and obviously useful runs to get them up to a very good first innings total. 
Um, but Montgomery was very much the star of the show. He batted for a long time and obviously looked very composed for his 177. Um, so that's a very good sign for Knotts that even when Duckett isn't around, they're going to be in very safe hands. They certainly are, Kieran. And again, he's had a very impressive start to the summer. You did mention about him not playing every game. You're spot on. He's only played four of the six matches so far, but in those four matches, 290 runs at an average of 41.42. Matt Montgomery is someone to watch out for this summer because honestly, he's got every single shot in the book. And when he applies himself adeptly, like he did in this particular innings, he's a million dollar player to watch. He really is so... Well done to Matt Montgomery. I thought that was a superb innings. And in addition to that, we also do have to mention Ben Slater's 57. I thought that got knots off to a very solid start, actually, in that particular innings. So all things considered, and we have to say, rather unsurprisingly, Knotts did bats quite superbly in that first innings at Trent Bridge this week against a very, very capable Essex bowling attack, as we've seen at many points so far this summer. But talking of the visitors... Kieran, let's talk about their second innings because this brought me great joy, but at the same time, immense heartbreak. We've got to talk about Sir Alistair Cook's 99 because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the first time in his first-class career that Sir Alistair Cook has been dismissed for 99. Before that, I think he'd had a 100% conversion rate when he was on 99 runs, and that's come to a crashing halt as a result of this game. And what makes it even more painstakingly sad is that before this game, it was well known, right, not just in the county circuit, but across England, to be honest. It's the one venue where Sir Alistair Cook has struggled. So he's never scored a ton in first-class cricket at Trent Bridge. So to see him get dismissed for 99 after he had dug in and applied himself so superbly for 228 deliveries... First and foremost, Kieran, what did you make of Alistair Cook's performance? But secondly, were you a bit gutted to see him dismissed for 99? Yeah, I mean, obviously, he is one of the best batters we've ever seen in in the country, Test cricket, and since he's retired from Test cricket and just done it for Essex. And obviously, I think that would have been his 74th first-class one, if I'm not mistaken. Um Obviously, 73 is still a massive number of first-class centuries. Um, but to have one more, I mean, I'm sure he will score more in his career. But just to be that close and then not get it with the history at, at Trent Bridge is somewhat heartbreaking. Um, but as I mentioned, since he's retired from Test cricket, he's shown that he's probably would still be capable of opening the batting for England, to be honest. He's still one of the best opening bats in the country, um, despite having not played Test cricket for four or five years now. Um, And, I mean, Essex, um, their batting hasn't been as strong as as the bowling, um, but Alistair Cook is generally a safe bet for runs. um, And recently he has looked very good with the bat and... Yeah, somewhat sad that he he was dismissed for 99, but it's still 99 runs, um, which were very useful to Essex's uh, second innings total. Again, that is very, very true. And I I suppose Sir Alistair has scored so many centuries. You're right, 73. That would have been his 74th. That He's probably not taking it too personally, but I I was gutted. I've got to be honest. I had the tweet ready. 
I had the tweet ready. It was in all caps. I was, I was really looking forward to seeing him finally break that curse. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be. And, and then just to rub the salt in the wounds even further, someone else who deserved a ton and then got dismissed for 95 was Tom Wesley. And Tom Wesley, to be honest, we haven't discussed enough on this podcast because he's been a superb performer for Essex for a number of years now. And he leads that side quite magnificently. So as of this recording, Tom Wesley is the leading run scorer in the first division. He's scored 574 runs at an average of 52.18. He's scored one century and three fifties. I think he's doing a really good job. I've got to say, I love his captaincy with the bowlers. I think he always nails it with the bowlers. But in terms of leading from the front, Tom Wesley's also doing that so far this summer. So again, if he can find some, or I should say if he can continue this form alongside the likes of Sir Alistair Cook, if they've got Dan Lawrence, that'll be a massive bonus as well. But if they haven't got Dan Lawrence, you've got the likes of a Matt Critchley, who's averaging 34.9. They need Adam Rossington to come to the forefront, and they need that middle order to generate some more runs. But if they can, and it is a big if, but if they can, Essex might just be dark horses, you know. They are just simmering beneath the surface somewhat. They're on 60 points after six games. I don't think that does them justice so far. I think with that bowling attack, they can be a lot better than that. But... Yeah, Tom Wesley, I just had to give him a shout out this week. I thought he was very, very good and he's had a fantastic start to the summer as well. But aside from those two knocks, actually, Essex put together a very, very respectable total of 362 for eight by T on day four. And then they declared, they declared, and I thought this was fantastic. And and some people said it was foolish and they didn't have enough runs on the board. They were never going to win this game. But again, I love the intent. I love the intent of that declaration. And in the end, yes, the game did result in a draw, not ultimately reach 97 for four from 34 overs. But I respect both teams for giving it a proper go. And Ken, I've got to ask before we do discuss Division 2 and we look at the tables, what did you make of that declaration? Because as you can probably tell, I thought it was really sporting. I thought it was great to see, personally speaking. Yeah, I mean, with the, the outlook of English cricket at the moment, there is a lot being put on the fact that a lot of English sides at the moment, uh, in reference to the test side, are playing aggressive cricket and they want to win games. And um, obviously Ben Stokes has spoken about a lot with England that he doesn't want to draw games. He'd rather lose a game trying to win than um, just roll over and accept a draw. And it's good to see that sides in the county game are are following suit, um, potentially not being quite as aggressive um you know the fact ben stokes um saying that even if england 2-1 up in the ashes and and the barreling towards a draw you still try and uh win a game but you know the fact that that sides are being aggressive and, and trying to make games of um games that look like they're going to end in draws it just makes for a more exciting spectacle and with the wider reference of county cricket, that can only be good for the fans um, getting people into the game that you might not want to watch if you know you're setting for a draw that's very much going to happen. And and from Essex's point of view, it's just positive and just a good thing for the game in general that they had the confidence to say we're going to declare and let you have a go at chasing the total. Yeah, to be honest, Kieran, I loved it. I really did. So again, fair play to both Essex and Notts. I thought it was a great game of cricket, right? 
And I think a draw was definitely a fair result. I thought that Essex clawed their way back into this game quite excellently. I thought Times Not also bowled and batted very, very well at Trent Bridge this week. So even though it was a draw, and yes, people do prefer a quote-unquote result per se, they want to see a team win, I thought that was definitely fair. And I thought both sides put on a show in the East Midlands County of Nottinghamshire this week. But aside then from our game-by-game analysis, let's take a look now at the Division 1 table at the end of the seventh round. Now, unsurprisingly, at the top of the Division 1 table are Surrey County Cricket Club on 104 points. In second place, with a game in hand, are my county of Warwickshire on 79 points, which is absolutely phenomenal. Well done to the Bears. Fingers crossed we can keep this up after the T20 block. In third place, also on 79 points, are Hampshire County Cricket Club. In fourth and fifth place are Nottinghamshire and Somerset on 68 and 67 points, respectively. In sixth are Essex on 60 points. In seventh are Middlesex on 50 points. In eighth, but with a game in hand, are Lancashire County Cricket Club on 46 points. In ninth are Kent on 43 points. And in tenth and bottom place of Division 1 are Northamptonshire on 38 points. So, Division 1, I still think, is wide open. I, I do think we've got three clear front runners in Surrey, Warwickshire and Hampshire. But teams like Somerset, teams like Notts, teams like Essex are also beginning to generate some momentum. And it will be a case of, can they continue that good form up after the T20 blast? But I think we're in for a wild ride. I really do. I do think Surrey are definite favourites. I think they're firm favourites to retain the title. But if Warwickshire and Hampshire can take them all the way to September... I think we could be in for quite an exciting conclusion. So, yeah, Division 1, it always delivers. But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens for the rest of the season. I do think we are in for a very, very compelling finish to the Championship in the summer of 2023. But aside then from the First Division, Kieran, let's shift our focus to the Second Division. And there's only one place that we can start this week, isn't there? And that is, of course, in Worcester where Worcestershire beat Leicestershire by three wickets in a phenomenal game of cricket at New Road. Now, in this game, Worcestershire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first, a decision which in the early exchanges appeared to have paid off quite spectacularly. The pair's bowling attack, spearheaded by the likes of Matthew Waite, he took three for 17, and Joe Leach, he took three for 45, carved through the Foxes to ultimately dismiss them for a lowly total of 173 all-outs within just 56 first innings overs. However, in response to this, Worcestershire got off to an absolutely terrible start to their first innings. At one point in the 16th over, Worcestershire were 50 for 9, as Chris Wright, he took 5 for 32, and Loney Josh Davey took 3 for 26, to leave the home side absolutely struggling all ends up within just 17 overs. It was absolutely stunning cricket to see. Now, in fairness to them, Jack Brooks, another lonely, funnily enough, from Somerset this time from a from a Worcestershire perspective, he did dig in with 18 from 25, as both he and Ben Gibbon put on 33 runs for the last wickets. But ultimately, Worcestershire were skittled out for 83 runs within just 21.1 overs on home soil this week. So, Kieran, I've got to ask at this point in the game, right... Did you ever expect Worcestershire to come back after being bundled out for 83? Did you think this game was not finished, but maybe just leaning towards Leicestershire at this particular point? Yeah, I mean, after being bowled out for 83, you're not really expecting that you're going to have 
much chance. I mean, obviously, that the, there's a, a good chance that you can bowl a side out for a, a somewhat low total, which, of course, they did fought back really well um, with, as you say, the likes of Chris Wright, Josh Davey uh, for the majority. Um, but, yeah, that just shows the sort of resolve of the side that even after being bowled out for 83, there's still another three innings of, of the game that things can change in. And they set themselves up very well um, with bowling Leicester out for less than 200 um, to give themselves a, a good chance of putting on a decent total in their second innings and and trying to win the game. Well, I think that's a very, very fair point, Kieran. And to be honest, when Leicestershire was 64 for none in the second innings within just nine overs, you're thinking this game is done and dusted. And then Joe Leach and Matthew Waits produced the magic yet again. From 64 for none within nine overs, over the course of the next 50 overs, Leicestershire were bundled out themselves for just 180 runs. So instead of Worcestershire having a 350, 400 plus target to try and chase down, in the end, their target was just 271. A lot of Worcestershire fans were very apprehensive in terms of chasing this down, and their apprehensions were probably well-founded, because in the second over, the pairs were two for two, as Josh Davey yet again tore through the openers, dismissing both Azarelli and Ed Pollock in the same over, to leave the home side absolutely floundering. But when his team needed him the most... Worcestershire's new signing, Adam Hose, came to the forefront in quite magnificent fashion this week. He hit a barnstorming 84 from 117 deliveries to completely flip the script in Worcester this week. As he provided some momentum, he counter-attacked the Leicestershire bowlers quite phenomenally. And his innings ultimately set up a grandstand finish, which saw Worcestershire's captain, Brett Dolivera, score the winning runs with a lovely carved four over points to seal a three-wicket victory for Worcestershire in the most unlikeliest of circumstances in the West Midlands this week. And Kieran, I can see a smile on your face. And listeners, for those who don't know why, that's because of the celebration that Mr. Dolivera whipped out at New Road this week. For those who haven't seen it, I compel you to go and do so now because it's like being back in 2017. Um, Brett Dolivera hit the winning runs and then hit a dab. Um, I couldn't believe it, honestly. <laughs> like, it, it did feel like being transported back in time. But there is some context to this. And in fairness, it was some pretty good banter because Chris Wright, the, the Leicestershire seamer, when he took that five from the first innings, he was hitting the dab, right? It was an old celebration he did for Warwickshire. And obviously, he's got history against Worcestershire. Took a fifer in 2012 when Warwickshire won the championship at New Road. But then for Dolivera to almost return the favour, and I've got to say... As much as I don't like seeing the dab in 2023, the form of Delavera was quite superb, wasn't it, Kieran? If we're just rating the dab, let alone the innings, the celebration, perfected. Absolutely perfected. The arm angle was spot on. He even had the follow through with his bats. What did you make of the celebration first and foremost, Kieran? And then, I suppose more importantly, what did you make of that performance from Worcestershire in their second innings? Well, on the celebration, firstly... It's just funny, like, <laughs> to give it back to Chris Wright after he'd been doing it, it's just funny. That's just, like, that's one of the best things about cricket, that, like, if you don't win in that situation, you have to expect that somebody's going to give you something back. And it's, like, it's all in good spirit as well. You know, it's not like he's 
gone and abused him or whatever. It's just, it is funny. Um, and for Dolavira to, to get them to that point, obviously after the, this, the poor start in Worcestershire's first innings, um, it was a controlled innings, um, obviously set up by Gareth Roderick. And as you say, Adam Ho was a very composed innings of 84. Um, and Dolavira was sort of, uh, Hose's innings was a lot quicker. Um, Dolavira at that point just had to be the man to stick around and make sure that Worcestershire got over the line. Um, and he struck at just under 30 for his 41 runs. So it was very much just knock the ball around and milk runs where you can and, and ensure that your side wins the game, which he did. And it was a very good um, performance and, and a really good fight back from Worcestershire in that second innings that obviously after their first innings, um, they could have just rolled over and, and accepted that they might not win. But the bowlers, firstly, bowling Leicestershire out for under 200 in both innings. And then, as we've mentioned there, the batting, a few people contributing good totals and, yeah, a, just a really good fight back win. It certainly was, Kieran. And again, for Worcestershire, it does put them in a very good position. Heading into the rest of this summer, they're currently third in the second division and well and truly in that promotion hunt. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, as you mentioned, credit to the likes of Joe Leach, Matt Waits, Adam Hose, Brett Oliveira, and of course, Gareth Roderick. That was, of course, an excellent 59 from the Worcestershire wicketkeeper batter at New Road this week. But aside from the pairs, Kieran, before we switch our attention to Bristol, where does this defeat leave Leicestershire? Because they had a fantastic start to the season. They had that historic victory at Headingley, didn't they? Their first championship victory there since 1910. It was a, a monumental win for the Foxes after such a poor time of it in 2022. But all of a sudden, they seem to have lost their momentum. So where do you think this defeat leaves Leicestershire in the grander scheme of things in the second division? I don't know, because I think... Obviously, the the win at Yorkshire was, you know, very much ideal to start the season for them, and, and very much not for Yorkshire. Um, but it was a great win for them, um, and since then they've won. I mean, they've drawn. Sorry, four games, um, and this is their only loss. So it's not as if they've performed badly since then. Um, they simply just haven't performed to the standard that they had in the first game, but having showed that at the start of the season, there's no reason to suggest why they can't do that. I mean, it's not as if they've lost multiple games since then. This was literally the, their first loss of the season. So, um, And they're still very much within touching distance of the, other than Durham, the three sides above them. They're only 13 points shy of Sussex um, and within three points of both Worcestershire and Glamorgan. So even just one win while one of those sides draws and they're right back in in promotion contention that is very true kieran that is very true but i I don't know something inside of me does just worry slightly that maybe the t20 blasters come at the wrong time for leicestershire i actually think they probably could have done with another game and potentially getting another win on the board after this or even just getting a draw just to kind of claw it back but then again it could work the other way it could be, again, a complete refresh and they could come back after a good T20 campaign and, you know, have a resurgence again, which, to be honest, would be great to see because seeing Leicestershire perform well in red ball cricket is a fantastic sight. So 
we we will of course just have to i suppose wait and observe what happens in the second division but yeah for Worcestershire massive massive win that and a very very complete performance after a shocking first innings to say the least but aside then from that game an incredible encounter in the West Midlands let's shift our focus to the West Country Kieran and let's go to Bristol where Durham beat Gloucestershire by 125 runs at the seat unique county ground Now, Durham won the toss and elected to have a bat first in Bristol this week, a decision which, to be honest, paid dividends quite superbly. As the likes of Alex Lees, he scored 41, the captain Scott Borthwick scoring 53, and David Bedingham, who scored 40, set their side up quite brilliantly to take the Northeastern County up to a competitive score of 214 for four within just 51 overs in the West Country. Now, after this solid foundation... This was supported superbly by a certain Graham Clark, as the Durham number six produced an excellent 100 from 155 deliveries, which included 13 fours and a six, alongside the likes of Baz Delada, the Dutch rounder scoring 65, and Paul Coglin, Sunderland's finest, chipping in with a quick 559 out from 52 balls to ultimately take the division leaders up to a huge total of 445 all out by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Gloucestershire unfortunately didn't have as good of a time with the bat in hand in comparison to their opponents. Although the likes of Marcus Harris, he scored 52, and Ben Charlesworth chipped in with a very good 71 from 179 deliveries, Gloucestershire were never really looking as though they were going to pose much threats to Durham's lead in that first innings, as the home side were ultimately dismissed for 292 runs within 79.2 overs as Ajaz Patel took figures of 5 for 113 to announce himself to the Durham fans in quite excellent fashion. Now, Kieran, this is the point in the podcast where we have to discuss Durham's batting, because aside from that first innings, which was very impressive, and Graham Clark, that was excellent to see him register his second century in the first-class format, but in the second innings, this is where Durham really flexed their metaphorical muscles, wasn't it? and in particular two batters who stood out above the rest, Michael Jones, who never seems to get a mention in the wider county cricket conversation, right? There's a reason why this guy plays international cricket for Scotland, but he manufactured a quite exquisite 121 outs, which included 11 fours and five sixes. Kieran, just a few words on Michael Jones, because if we look at his start to the summer so far for Durham, right, obviously this 121 is a massive, massive innings. But even just aside from this, he's averaging 47.66. He's scored 429 runs so far for the Northeastern County this summer. Just how impressive was this knock from Michael Jones at the CU Neat County Grounds in Bristol this week? Yeah, it was very impressive. Um, and I mean, look at the two opening bats that Durham have got. You would expect that Alex Lees would be the standout. Um, and by no means has he had a bad season. And even in this game, um, 41 in the first innings, 40 in the second innings. Um, But the spotlight was very much on Michael Jones, um, obviously making a very good 100 not out as well. And he's just continuing form that he's shown throughout the season. Um, And that obviously in the second innings set a very good platform for Durham's um, middle order to 
continue hit, hitting runs and I mean mention you haven't mentioned there but um obviously Jones's platform allowed Ollie Robinson to put Durham into a position where they could declare and uh bowl Gloucester out so that they could win the game um so just a fantastic batting uh, performance in the second innings particularly obviously the first innings another very good performance um from a lot of players um but the strength of the openers in the second innings to make that platform and then the likes of Beddingham and Robinson just to basically bat them bat Durham so far ahead that they could go on and win that game it was a very good performance from every single one of them it certainly was Kieran and again I was going to mention Ollie Robinson because that's 67 from 36 balls, 9 fours and 3 sixes. He's T20 blast ready, isn't he? The former Kent wicketkeeper. He really is. And again, we talk about impressive batting performances for Durham so far this summer. Ollie Robinson is their leading run scorer. So he has scored 465 runs, an average of 46.5, has a century in 350s to his name. He is cooking in 2023 and as you mentioned this set up the game quite superbly for Durham 272 runs within just 48 overs is quite remarkable a run rate of 5.66 in a first class game take a bow that Durham top five I thought they were absolutely exceptional in the West Country this week and in fairness to Gloucestershire Gloucestershire really did put up a good fight. They did put up a good fight in that second innings. So eventually they were bowled out for 300 runs. But Marcus Harris scored an excellent 122 not out, which saw him surpass the career milestone of 10,000 first-class career runs. So first and foremost, congratulations to Marcus Harris. James Brace also found some form with a 50 from 78 balls. And then Josh Shaw also produced a career-best 44 from 81 deliveries. And the only reason as to why he couldn't reach a 50 was because of one of the balls of the season from Ajaz Patel. He bowled it outside of the leg stump. Josh Shaw played a forward defence and somehow it spun at almost like 90 degrees, just clipped the top edge of Josh's bat and went straight to Matt Potts at slip. So it did take something special. And to be honest, Ajaz Patel definitely delivered that in this particular encounter, taking five for 96 in that second inning. So Kieran, I've got to ask the the big question when it comes to Durham, right? We are only six games in. It is a long summer. But you look at the table so far this season, they are 29 points now ahead of Sussex in second place. Do you think Durham will get promoted in the summer of 2023? I don't want to put them on too high a pedestal, but obviously it's looking very good for them. Um, No other side um, has won more than two games in Division 2 so far. and Durham have won four of six um, and are opening up quite a good lead over Sussex in second. So at the moment, and with the um, the tools that they've got at their disposal, both with the bat and with the ball, it's looking very good for them. Um, and they're, again, don't want to put them on too high a pedestal, but they're sort of like, they're a bit like the Surrey of the second division in the, got a very good bowling attack but the bowlers are also very good with the bat so you saw there Paul Coglin hitting runs um Ajax Patel hit 22 Matt Potts uh hit runs against Yorkshire as did Ben Rain um 
obviously Bryden Cars isn't currently fit. Um, they will hope that he returns at some point. I've not heard anything about his injury, um, but if all of their guys can continue firing as they are, and there doesn't seem to be any reason to suggest why they can't, then it's looking very good for promotion for them currently. It really is. And again, they've recruited well, haven't they? With the likes of Matt Kuhneman, with Ajaz Patel, with Baz Delader as well. It's looking good for Durham. And honestly, I'd love to see them get promoted. They were my dark horse in Division 2 this season. And yeah, they are paying dividends so far this summer. The batting has just been electrifying. And I suppose on the flip side, Kieran, it is a disappointing summer so far for Gloucestershire. And I feel for them. I really do, because I had them as promotion contenders. And They've been massively affected by the weather. That's obviously out of their control. But so far, they're sixth. They're yet to win a game in Division 2. And to be honest, it does look like a bit of a a mountain to climb now for the West Country outfit. But if it is a case of one of those seasons where it's more a case of just resetting, just bringing through that young talent, the likes of Ajit Dale, the likes of Zaman Akhtar, who made his debut in this particular game, the likes of the Price brothers as well, and Ben Charlesworth, Maybe in the future this could pay off. And it's difficult for me to say that because I would have liked to have seen Gloucestershire come straight back up. But it looks as though things outside of their control are happening this summer. I do think the likes of Durham are far too strong for them. I think the likes of Sussex, Worcestershire and Leicestershire have also had much better starts to the season and are pulling ahead now. So I feel for Gloucestershire fans, but fingers crossed for the glorious Gloucesters. They can have a good time of it in the T20 Blast because I have predicted them to finish in the top four in that competition. So hopefully my prediction does come true in that particular competition. But Kieran, aside then from that game in Bristol, let's head to our third and final game in the second division this week, which took place in Hove, which saw a ridiculously high-scoring draw playouts between Glamorgan and Sussex at the first central county ground. Now, Sussex won the toss, and elected to have a bowl first in this game. And this decision could not have paid off any better for the home side as the relentless Martlers bowling attack spearheaded by Ollie Robinson. He took four for 29 and Aristides Carvelas taking three for 30 carved through the Glamorgan batting lineup with complete and utter ease to leave the stunned visitors all out for a meagre total of 123 runs by the culmination of their first innings. Now, in response to this underwhelming batting display, Sussex's top to middle order laid down the hammer in truly merciless fashion on the South Coast this week, as James Coles continued his red-hot start to the summer with a phenomenal career-best 138 from 223 deliveries, alongside the likes of Steve Smith, he scored 89, and Finn Hudson-Prentice, manufacturing a very handy 73 to ultimately take the home side up to a huge total of 481 all-outs by the end of their first innings. Now, Kieran, again, I asked this with the Worcestershire game, but given the size of the deficit that was present in this game, it was 358 runs. That is a massive margin to overcome. Did you ever expect Glamorgan to overcome that and and draw this game? Did you think that was even possible after after three days in, in Hove? Well, not really. Um... No, to be honest, from from the platform that Sussex set after their first innings, um, hitting 481 after Glamorgan's poor first start, uh, poor start in their, their first innings, sorry, um, it looked like Sussex had 
battered themselves um, out of the game and out of reach of Glamorgan. Um, but it was a phenomenal fight back from Glamorgan, the likes of Marnus Labashane, whose form at the moment just looks scary um, with the Ashes coming up. The fact that he hit runs against Yorkshire, um, he hit, uh, I think he, he got a few last week, and obviously um, in this game hitting 138, um, and then uh, just a lot of good scores from Glamorgan that basically saved the game for them. Well, not basically, it did save the game for them um, after the fact that, that Sussex looked like they, they would just run away with it. Um, and yeah, great knocks from Kieran Carlson, who was unlucky not to get to 200. Um, and Michael Nisa, obviously a fantastic innings from there. Um, I think, um, obviously, at some point, Sussex must have realised that there wasn't really much point um, with Steve Smith bowling 45 mile an hour off spinners. Um, that somehow bowled Michael Neeser as he tried to hit one to the moon. Um, but that was a fantastic knock from him, as it was from um, a lot of them, 300s. But the majority of the Glamorgan sides contributed, contributed to that total to ensure that they didn't lose the game um, and just a mammoth total in the end. Well, let's break down the stats associated with that mammoth total. The total, of course, being 737 all out for the Welsh side. So I've got some fantastic statistics. I really have. And I do have to give a shout out to the Association of Cricket Statisticians because this is where I got the stats and facts and figures from. But in terms of of that particular total, 737 runs, it's Glamorgan's highest ever in a second innings, first and foremost in first-class cricket. It's also the second highest total in their history as a first-class county, the highest being the 795 for five against Leicestershire last season when Sam Northey scored 410 not outs. But as if that wasn't impressive enough to salvage this game and get those valuable draw points, the difference of 614 runs between Glamorgan's first and second innings is the highest margin between innings in first-class cricket history. The previous highest margin was 591 runs set by the Karachi Blues in a Pakistani first-class game in October 2016. So it was a remarkable turnaround. And Kieran, you mentioned the protagonists of that particular innings. Marnus Labashain doing what Marnus does best with a 138 from 244 balls. Kieran Carlson, the, the standing captain in David Lloyd's absence, producing a masterclass in first-class cricket, a career-best score of 192. And I've got to be honest, I was gutted when he got out, just eight runs short of what was a thoroughly deserved double century. But as if that innings from Kieran Carlson also wasn't enough, you had Michael Nisa manufacturing his third career first-class century and his first on English soil, scoring 123 from 198 balls. So, to a man, I thought Glamorgan played very, very well in that second innings. And someone else who maybe wasn't the, the standout performer per se, but someone who's just put me on notice is Zainal Hassan. Zainal Hassan's 43 in that second innings really did put him on my radar because I thought the way in which he set up against the new ball was very impressive. 
He looked very confident with his leave and with his front foot defence, but also his playing of spin. He played spin really well up until his dismissal when he got stumped playing a sweep shot against Jack Carson. So I've got to be honest, for Glamorgan, I think they are the dark horse now. I think when it comes to that four-horse race between Sussex, Worcestershire, Glam and Leicestershire, I think Glamorgan could be the ones to just steal it. I really do. They were my pre-season favourites for the division. And if they keep this up, I do think they'll definitely fancy their chances of promotion in the summer of 2023. But Kieran, aside from the Welsh outfits, just a a final few words on, on Sussex. Obviously now they're missing Steve Smith. They didn't win a game in his stint, but they also went unbeaten. Three games, three draws. So they're in a very good position. And in fairness to him, he did produce an excellent 89 in this particular game. But in addition to Steve Smith's absence, they will also be without Ollie Robinson. And in this game, you saw the difference in the tenacity and the ferocity of the Sussex bowling attack when Robinson is present compared to when he's absent. So how do you now assess Sussex's chances, given the lack of Steve Smith and the loss of Ollie Robinson to injury and, of course, the Ashes as well? Well, to be honest, until this game, Steve Smith had had a couple of measly totals. Um and obviously he was keeping Nathan McAndrew out of the side, who looked good in both facets um, at the start of the season. Um, so I don't think, I mean, it's easy to say they won't miss one of the best test parts in the world. It sounds a bit insane to say that. Um, but I think for the balance of the side, Nathan McAndrew coming back in is probably a little bit more of a help than Steve Smith. Obviously, if Smith had hit 400s in the games that he played, it would look a bit different and it's it's easier to say it now that he, he's only hit that 89, which could probably have been about 300 if he hadn't been sawn off by the umpire. Um, the fact that Ollie Robinson is going to be missing, um, hopefully not um, too serious in, an injury with um, the test summer around the corner, that's obviously less than ideal for them because he is the focal point of their seam attack. But again, Nathan McAndrew coming back in adds another element to that bowling attack that he's not going to bring what Ollie Robinson brings you, the fact that every game he seems to just take a bag of wickets. But McAndrew coming back in is going to help with the bowling as well as the batting. So there might be a little bit of a drop-off in the effectiveness of the Sussex side, but I don't think it's going to be a massive one. Um, but time will tell whether or not that that is true because I think the loss of Robinson is somewhat significant, but I don't think it's going to be huge. I think that's a fair assessment, to be honest, because, as you mentioned, McAndrew did have a good start to the summer, took 15 wickets in those three matches, an average of 20.6. So, fingers crossed, first and foremost, that isn't a severe injury to Ollie Robinson because if it is, England's Ashes chances aren't looking great given the lack of, of Jofra. Bryden Carsey don't have him as a backup and it does seem like all of our bowlers tend to go down injured just on the eve of the biggest test series of all but we'll have to wait and see fingers crossed it's nothing too serious but as for Sussex yeah they've had a great start to the season and in fact if I'm not mistaken they are the only team with maximum bowling bonus points and they've also scored 21 batting bonus points so yeah that is very very impressive they are the only team in the division with maximum bowling points so yeah, things are definitely looking good for the Martlets. 
over the course of this summer. But Kieran, let's take a look then at the Division 2 table at the end of the seventh round. At the top are Durham on 105 points. In second are Sussex on 76 points. In third and fourth, both on 66 points apiece, are Worcestershire and Glamorgan. In fifth are Leicestershire on 63 points. In sixth are Gloucestershire on 42 points. In seventh, but with a game in hand, are Derbyshire on 37 points. And in eighth and bottom place of the second division, also with a game in hand, are Yorkshire County Cricket Club on 33 points. So, again, the second division is heating up. That promotion race is going to be very, very compelling. And to be honest, we cannot wait to take you through all the action over the course of what promises to be an action-filled summer here in England and Wales. But aside from those two divisions, just one final league that we do have to take a look at, which unfortunately I'm not doing too well in, um, Kieran. I'm 82nd in our own fantasy league, but we do, of course, have the Cricket Draft League. And at the top of the table are Nighthawk, captained by Nathan Charlton, on 11,528 points. In second are the Shower Gladiators, captained by John Welch, on 11,481 points. And in third place, still in the top three, are financially benefiting from the Vitality Dog, captained by Xavier Vote Hill on 11,451 points. So if you want to go and check out our Cricket Draft tournaments, you can find the link in the podcast description below. It's completely free or just a bit of fun. We do also have a T20 Blast one. So if you want to get involved with that, please feel free to do so in due course. But that is essentially it from us to here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.